Habakkuk chapter 1 and the first verse of chapter 2. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earth and ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foes, foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest foods. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give I am to give to this complaint. This is God's word. Well, evening one and all, let me add my welcome. If we've not met, um, my name is Matt Fuller. I'm the vicar here. But uh, we're turning uh, the next month, really, to the book of uh, Habakkuk. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll look at this together. Hey, great God and Father, we thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for honesty, for the realism of the scriptures, that uh, th- this is not a book which contains a life which is unlivable. 
here is your living word, truths that you speak to your sons and your daughters for our good. Thank you for the variety we find here. And as we turn to this book, Father, uh, for some, it's what we need precisely right now. For some, we'll need it in the future. But again, Lord, we ask, help us understand it rightly. Would we hear you rightly and know how to pray to you as a result of what we look at tonight? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could put it in these terms, um, life in this world is sometimes really unfair. And we need to say that. It's good to say that. Not all the time. But sometimes this world is a cruel place. And you just got to say that out loud. And the scriptures would encourage us to say that out loud. There comes a point in the lives of most Christians, Christians, where there's a conflict between what we know to be true about God and what we look at in the world and we see. And we don't work it out how those two things come together. So this is, at the moment, just Christians, we, we know God is good. <laughs> he loves what is good. He does what is good. And he's sovereign. That is, he's in charge of everything. There is, Jesus will tell us, not a sparrow that falls to the ground, unless the Lord says so. He is in control of everything, and he's good. And we know that. And then we look at events in the world and we say, what? I know you're good. I know you're in charge. So, so what's that? Why do you allow that? How can that be? And if you've never experienced as a Christian that dissonance in your head, you will at some point. How do those things go together? The book of Habakkuk will encourage us to be honest about that, to be emotionally honest about that conflict that goes on. At points. And so chapter 1, verse 3, Habakkuk addresses God and says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? If you're good and you're in charge, why do you tolerate, tolerate wrongdoing? And then again in verse 13, your eyes are too pure on e to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing, so why do you? Why do you? Because there's a lot of wrongdoing in this world, and why do you put up with it when you're good and you're in charge and you could stop it? Why do you do that? Says Habakkuk. Now, that is the dissonance or the conflict that Christians feel at some point, if you've never done so. I think you will at some point. But it's a question that once you just you, you can't even ask from a secular viewpoint. Because from a secular viewpoint there is no one or no being or no thing which is in charge. So you can't look at the evil in this world and say why? 
or that's not right. Why not? You can't look at a dictator triumphing, brutal treatment of their people, and say, why does that happen? Well, it just does. You can't say, it's not fair that, I don't know, Putin continues to send missiles into Kiev and, 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 and hospitals and, and schools are destroyed and children are killed. You can't say it's not fair. Why not? There are no rules. So you can't say why or it's not fair. I mean, you might feel it, but the very fact that you feel it is some indication that you expect there to be a God who makes the rules. But the book of Habakkuk wrestles with this question. How can God permit evil is the question of the book. Or more acutely, how can God permit evil people, evil nations to triumph and brutally treat others? So the message overall we'll look at over the next few weeks will be something like God will bring justice to this unjust world. He will. So trust patiently and rejoice while you wait. I think that's the sort of overall message of the three chapters of Habakkuk. God will bring justice to this unjust world, so patiently trust. And you can rejoice while you wait. Chapter one is slightly different, but overall that's the message of the book. How it works. Chapter one, we get this this dialogue uh, that Sam read uh, from chapter one between Habakkuk and the Lord, this dialogue that goes back and forth. Chapter two is a much longer response uh, from the Lord. Uh, And chapter three, Habakkuk responds with song. What we're going to do tonight is we're just in chapter one. We'll look at the text probably spend about half our time there, and then um, a bit more, well, how can we have a bit more than half anyway? Uh, 45% of the time there, and 55% drawing some conclusions, something like that. It'll work, okay? Let's work through it. You get this dialogue in the text going back and forth. First, then, the question that Habakkuk asks, why do you tolerate corrupt politics? Verses uh, two to four. Uh, Chapter one, verse one, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, prophecy or burden or oracle that Habakkuk received. Here's his first complaint, and it's about corrupt politics, verses two to four. Verse two, how long, Lord, must I cry for help, but you do not listen? So this is not the beginning, okay? We're joining in something that's been going on for a while. How long do I keep saying this, Lord? He's been making this plea for a period of time. And there's injustice in Jerusalem. Uh, most people, uh, most readers of the book date, for what it's worth, uh, date this around about 600 BC um, is when we're talking about. Uh, the reason being, uh, 60, uh, which way you're looking at this way? 609 uh, uh, earlier, the 609 BC, uh, the great king Josiah has died. He's been the best king they had for a long period of time. The book of Deuteronomy is discovered. There's a revival and reformation. He's died, and you've got a bad king, Jehoiakim, is now in charge. 605, Babylon, we're about to read about, becomes the dominant power, um, and uh, they invade in 597. So it's somewhere between Babylon becoming the great power and being invaded. It's about 600 BC. Okay. Jehoiakim is the king. He's a shocker. Okay, there are lots of bad kings of Jerusalem. He is 
a, a shocker of a king. Uh, and so what's happened? Well, he's allowed corruption into the court and the nation. You read it, verse 3. Why do you make me look at, look at this list, injustice, tolerate wrongdoing, destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. That's what society looks like. Why have you let us become like this? The outcome of all these is verse 4. Therefore the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. Golly, the wicked hem in the righteous, justice is perverted. Lord, why do you allow a society full of crime, corrupt courts? You can't get justice here. Why? Now, most of the time in, in, in the UK, politics is a bit of a mess, but most of the time in the UK, with exceptions, I know, you'd expect there to be due process. It may take a long time at the moment in the courts, but you'd expect there to be due process. But how much more acute if you're in one of those annexed regions in the Ukraine and you say, Lord, why, why this? What, 98% of us voted to join Russia? That's not true. That's blatantly made up. Why do you allow these sort of ridiculous referenda to take place, these plebiscites? That's not true. Why do you allow that, Lord? That's Habakkuk's complaint. Why the corrupt politics? It's not right. You know it's not right, Lord. What I want you to see, though, is these are entirely healthy questions that Habakkuk asks. I think they're to his credit. He looks at the corruption society and says, that upsets me. I'd say that's a good thing. It may be that he's much more godly than you and I. We may observe corruption and be a little bit indifferent to it until it knocks on our door and it affects us personally. But a lack of justice over there, economic, social, whatever it may be, political, well, I mean, poor them, but I'm not too upset about it. I don't rant at God about it. Well, perhaps he's more godly than you and I are because he does care a great deal. Apathy in the face of corruption is not good. Have you ever complained to the Lord about um, corruption in this country, in other places you visited? Have you ever complained to him? If the answer is no, please be very slow to criticize Habakkuk when he does. I think he's much closer to the heart of God than you and I are in lamenting what's going on. How long, Lord? Why would you allow this, Lord? You're good. You're in control. And yet, this. Why do you tolerate corrupt politics? The Lord responds, you'll be amazed at what I'm about to do. Verses 5 to 11, you'll be amazed. Uh, Habakkuk is asked, why do you make me look at injustice? Verse 3, the Lord says, I'm going to make you look at something now. Verse 5, look, look, Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something in your days. You would not believe it, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless, 
and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Yeah, not just the leaders. There are ruthless and impetuous people. They're all like that. Their whole culture is violent and terrifying. Yes, those despicable Babylonians, they're going to come and bring an end to the corruption in Jerusalem. And it's going to be ghastly when they do. Because verse 7, there are feared and dreaded people. They're a law to themselves. They promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They come intent on violence. They are terrifying. These terrible people who the whole world at this moment in 600 BC fears, they're coming. But the shock here, of course, is God says, I'm raising them up. I'm sending them. I raise up these terrifying Babylonians to invade. And I raise up fascism to terrify Europe or King Jong-un and his family to devastate a nation or Vladimir Putin to cause chaos. I raise them up, says the Lord. Oh, that is surprising. Because they're terrifying. And look at their attitude, verse 10. They're just so arrogant. They mock kings. They scoff at rulers. They laugh at cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. They worship strength. They love brawn, brutality. God says, I'm going to send an abhorrent people to address the politics of Judah. Be stunned, Habakkuk. It's not what you're expecting, is it? That little passage, uh, sorry, that little, those verses, chapter 1, verse 5, it's quoted in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, in one of his sermons in Acts 13, to a largely predominantly Jewish audience at the time, makes curious use of Habakkuk chapter 1. Paul is preaching in Acts 13 in the New Testament. And there's, there it is. And says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Take care what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Now, that's curious. God, the New Testament, Paul takes these words from Habakkuk. God's going to do something really surprising, send the Babylonians, terrible people, to invade Jerusalem. And Paul says, God's going to do something extraordinary. He's going to offer you the forgiveness of sins. He's going to say, you can come to heaven. <laughs> you can know me. Everything you've done can be wiped away and forgiven. You can look forward to an eternity in paradise because of what Jesus has done. 
That's surprising that God himself would come down to die a death instead of you and me, that he would take punishment that you and I would deserve. Be amazed. Be shocked that God would do that. Says Paul, God's ways are surprising to us at points. Oh, look, why do you tolerate corrupt politics, says uh, Habakkuk. Oh, be amazed what's going to happen. The Babylonians are coming, says the Lord. So hold on a minute. Why do you tolerate violent wickedness, is uh, Habakkuk's second lament or complaint, verse 12 downwards. In other words, basically here he says, hold on a minute. You just made the problem worse. Like I was complaining about corrupt politics, and that's bad, and now we're going to be invaded by these barbaric people. Well, that's worse. That's not an answer. That's just, don't do that, is really verses 12 to 17. Uh, verse 13, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? And why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? There are some good people left in Jerusalem. Not everyone is corrupt. There are some good people here. And now they're going to get swallowed up by these ghastly, abhorrent, brutal Babylonians. Why would you do it like that? They're so brutal. Verse 15, uh, the wicked, verse 14, you've made the people like the fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls them up with his hook. He catches them in his net. The Babylonians, they were well known. You can still see friezes of this uh, at the British Museum. They would get vast numbers of captives and get fish hooks, literally, and put them through their lower lip and then attach the hooks to a long rope and drag them along so their prisoners are being dragged like fish that have been caught, literally. That's how they treat their prisoners. And how how do the Babylonians act when they're doing this, verse 15. They rejoice. They gloat. Yeah, look what we've done. Aren't we? Look at our strength. We love being brutal to people. Lord, what are you doing? Lord, why would you allow the triumph of this brutal regime? Why would you allow sort of raw strength to win? A secular idolatry. Why would you allow Mao's communism to slaughter hundreds of thousands, Khmer Rouge to decimate a population. Why would you allow that? Why would you allow Stalin to wipe out millions of his own countrymen? Why would you allow that, the triumph of a secular ideology? And to verse 17, he finishes his lament. Is he, Babylon, is he going to keep on emptying his net, destroy nations without mercy? In other words... How long is this going to last, Lord? How long? Are you going to allow Putin to oppress people forever? Kim Jong-un to enjoy the choicest foods while his people have nothing? How long? Well, the answer comes in chapter 2. For a while. And then let me assure you, this is chapter 2 next week, Let me assure you, justice will come. 
and every wrong will be righted and every evil act will be judged. And you do need to know that, Habakkuk. But that's chapter two. We get to the end of chapter one and Habakkuk says, chapter two, verse one, I'll stand at my watch, I'll station myself on the ramparts, I'll wait, in other words, to see what the Lord will do. What are you and I meant to do with this? Let me suggest three suitable responses. Be honest. Be assured by what you do know. And be prepared to wait. Be honest. Habakkuk is honest. Last uh, Easter weekend, I was, uh, wasn't here. I was speaking at a, a Christian conference and um, a few psalms. One of the psalms was uh, a psalm of lament, a sort of one of the, a complaint psalm. How long, Lord? Why are you doing this, Lord? And um, uh, afterwards, um, you chat to various people afterwards, and uh, one middle-aged couple came up, and um, the wife spoke, and the husband just stood silently crying. And the wife said, um, thank you uh, for what you said. Um, we have uh, three kids. Uh, our five-year-old has a uh, cerebral palsy, and uh, life is complicated. Uh, just over a year ago, we had a, a child stillborn at full term. And uh, a couple of months after that, we were interviewed at the front of church. And my husband said he trusted the Lord, but he couldn't rejoice. He found it hard to pray. He was depressed. And afterwards, the vicar told him off for saying that at the front of church. Um, that was about 18 months ago. No, that's right. 18 months ago, she said, that took place. And we've been struggling since then. And so... Thank you for just saying at the front of a room of a large group of Christians, it, it is okay to say to the Lord, I'm angry. It is okay to say, I don't understand. It is okay to say, I, I, I can't rejoice in you right now. That's okay. See, I, I think now we've heard that in a big room of other Christians, we think we might be able to start healing now. And it's one of those conversations at the end of you to say, oh, I'm, I'm just really sorry for everything you've gone through and that you were told you can't complain Lament, that's, that's a burden that you really didn't need. Habakkuk says to you and me, be honest. Tell the Lord what you think, what you feel. Sometimes we need to cry and shout 
and question what God is doing, sometimes out loud. Habakkuk asks honest questions, sensible questions. He persists how long in asking these questions. An honest dialogue with the Lord is absolutely essential to a living faith. Now, let me qualify that, to the Lord. Uh, You've heard me say it before, there's a difference between second-person pronouns and third-person pronouns, don't panic. Um, There's a difference between saying, he has abandoned me, that's not good, to saying, you, Lord, what are you doing? And actually talking to him. There's a difference between expressing your frustrations to the Lord and talking about him. There's a world of difference. That's not good. That is healthy. Or that sometimes isn't good. But what happens if you don't express truth honestly? If you are struggling with this dissonance emotionally, intellectually, what happens if you don't? We might give up on the faith altogether. I think more common is people drift indifferently. I mean, in a small way, I don't... I don't know if I'm the only one. Over the last six months or so, have you found yourself occasionally, someone's praying beautifully, healthily from the front of church about the situation in Ukraine, and you sit there and think, but he's not doing anything, is he? God doesn't appear to be ending this. God has not sent a heart attack to Vladimir Putin or caused his cancer, if that's what he's got, to, to, to overtake him. And you can become cynical. Unless you say honestly, why? How long? Much better to be honest than just say, oh, well, there's this thing over here. I don't understand it. And just become indifferent to it. Indifference is not a living faith. So much better to be honest. Maybe we should ask one another. Maybe you can do it after the service. If you were to, no, I know we're in different places. So people, some will think, oh, I, I, what are you talking about? But um, maybe you can give permission, or you could even ask afterwards. If you were to sit down and write a complaint to God, what would it be? Now, that's artificial. Let me not, don't, I mean, do it if you want, but I'm not encouraging you to do that particularly. Uh, there are other things you could ask as well. And if you wanted to write down a letter to God and say, Look, here are 10 things I'm going to want to be thankful for, you could write, you know, you can. My point is simply that we mustn't be shocked. Don't be shocked if someone's honest with you and says, I'm really struggling, I'm really angry. Sometimes that honesty is what's needed. Be honest, says Habakkuk. Secondly, be assured by what you do know. Complaining, lamenting to the Lord, it can be done in a very unhealthy way or a healthy way. Unhealthy way, you complain about him, or even if you're talking to him, um, it's perfunctory, you're not, you're not really engaged. You can, you can complain alongside destructive habits, you can uh, uh, doubt the Lord's goodness and indulge gambling or drinking or porn, and those things sort of numb you to what's going on. There are different ways of going about the sort of, I'm going to become indifferent to what's going on in my life. There are unhealthy ways of complaining, there are unhealthy ways of experiencing this sort of angst or emotional confusion. That's bad. There are healthy ways. You, you still talk to the Lord, but I'm finding it hard to speak to him. Okay, let others do that for you. 
Just make sure you are in church. Tell your friends what's going on. Let them bring the Bible to you. You can't sing? That's okay. Let them sing to you if they've got a decent voice or just listen to, to sit in the congregation and let others sing to you. There, there are unhealthy ways and there are healthy ways of expressing lament. Habakkuk is reeling here. But you notice he still lists the truths that he does know. So verse 12, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you'll never die. Lord, you, you have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Look, look I'm, I'm reeling with what's going on. I'm reeling with the injustice. And now you've told me the Babylonians are coming. I don't know what to make of that. But, but I do know you're good. I do know you're the eternal one who has the, who's ordained what's going to happen from before the creation of time until time ends. I know that. I know judgment comes. I can cling to some things. But, but I'm finding this very hard. Why are you allowing this? But I do know this. I know you're the everlasting one. I know you'll never die. I know you'll execute judgment. You will. Sometimes when we can't understand what God is doing in a particular scenario, we, and he hasn't explained what he's doing, we do have to turn back to what he has said and what we do know with clarity. Habakkuk does that. For you and me, look at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at him. Look at what he's like. Look at what God is like when he walks on this planet. Look at how he treats people. Look at how he interacts with injustice. See him. Above all else, turn to the cross and observe God is sovereign. He is in charge. He did plan this before the creation of the world. It all went according to his plan. He is in charge. But evil is so awful, the only way for him to triumph over evil, the evil that's even in you and me to a, to a certain degree, is for God himself to come down and take punishment in our place. That's how bad evil is. He had to come. And he did it because he's good. Hold to those things. There are times in our lives where we get very confused. What on earth is God doing? Tell him that and cling to what you know is true and what he said clearly and what he was like when he walked this planet. We might ask, God, why, Lord, did you tolerate the wrongdoing of the death of Jesus? Because I was going to conquer wickedness and bring in a world of perfect good. He's told us why in that case. We can trust him in others. Be honest, be assured by what you know. And last, briefly, be prepared to wait. As I say, the answer to Habakkuk's complaint, what on earth are you doing? It comes at length in chapter 2, and then Habakkuk sings. Uh, it's a long response that God gives. The gist of it is, seriously, Judgment is coming, and it will be fair, and it will be horribly terrifying if you're on the receiving end of it. That's really chapter two. But tonight, I, 
I unashamedly want to say, can we just stay in chapter 1 tonight? Can we just sit with Habakkuk tonight in chapter 1 and verse 2? How long, Lord? Or chapter 1 and verse 17? How long is this, gonna, how long is this wicked regime going to last? Because sometimes we need to sit and wait. The movement of the book of Habakkuk is chapter 1, verse 2, how long? To the end of chapter 3, he rejoices. I mean, we'll get there at the end of the month. But chapter 3 and verse 17, 18, those are the famous verses in the book probably. Uh, chapter 3, verse 17, everything's, though the world has gone to pot, though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the, stool, in the sheepfold, there are no cattle in the stalls, everything is gone. Even though I've got nothing, verse 18, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. Oh, okay. Um, Habakkuk has been on a journey and he gets there. But it takes time to get there. And so I'd encourage you in one sense tonight to sit with him in, in, in chapter one and not run ahead too quickly to the famous description of faith in chapter three. Often in life, it takes time to um, reconcile ourselves to God permitting evil. Sorry, that's, that's not right, is it? Reconcile is a bad word. Sometimes it because you never reconcile to evil. Sometimes in this world, it takes time to trust again that God is permitting evil within his plan and he can achieve good and he will and judgment comes. Sometimes it takes time to say, I can't see the answer, but I will still rejoice in you. And so in a moment we're going to sing again, and it's Isaiah 40, and uh, it's a glorious song and a glorious tune, and some will just sing it Probably most of us would just sing it and say, oh, I like this one. Some of us will say, I can't sing that. I can't sing that expression of trust in the Lord right now. That's okay. If you can't sing it right now, listen to others sing it to you. It's still true. Others will be just about able to sing it in defiance of how you feel. That's good too. It's an expression of faith. As long as you can do it honestly. But Habakkuk chapter 1, look, Habakkuk, God will bring justice to this unjust world. So patiently trust, rejoice while you wait. But chapter 1, we're still waiting. Be honest. Let's be an honest church with the struggles, the frustrations we feel at times. Cling to what you know. Let others tell you what you know. And wait. Sometimes we have to wait. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus to return undoubtedly. Sometimes we have to, it's just a period while we wait until emotionally we can trust God again with these perplexing scenarios of evil. But you see in Habakkuk chapter 1, we're not meant to bottle it up the Lord says to his people, models for his people, pour it out. Tell me. 
I am the everlasting God. I am Habakkuk. You can trust me. You've seen what I've done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in me. Let's pray together. Great God and Father, thank you that in your wisdom, as a good father, you include the book of Habakkuk in the scriptures. You include this lament of your prophet. You include him wrestling. Why? Why do you allow the wrongdoing, Lord, when you could end it because you're in charge and you're good and you love what is good and you hate what is evil? Why? And Father, for most of us, there has been, there will be a point where we say, why? Why this evil? Why does God allow it? Father, would we be a a church where we're honest, honest with you, honest with one another? Sometimes it is other people we need to draw alongside us and say, let me remind you of what we know. And as we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus, would you deepen our trust again, our confidence that all wickedness is judged? All wrongs will be righted. Would we cling to the knowledge that you are good, even though sometimes this world is a perplexing place? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.